been all around in this corner. In the youth room? I think it's over here. You put it down to move chairs? So I know the all the main guys that were talking on there. I'll introduce you to them. Yeah. I want to wish everyone a shalom this morning. Good morning. <laughs> What's that? Somebody. Oh, I thought somebody said something. Let me see those eyes. No, they're not red. That's good. I meant I meant the lock in. I didn't mean anything else. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Come in wearing shades at night. What? I'm just cool, Mom. That's funny. Well, good morning. How is everybody today? Either my voice is louder or this is louder. It's okay, though. I'm not complaining. No worries. No worries. How are you doing? Cortez, I met. I saw your uh, daughter up at the store the other day at United. I, it took me a second, and I was like, "Wait a minute! I know you, Michelle." So she was she was giving me all kinds of good gossip about you guys. It was awesome, really good stuff. It's amazing what preachers know. You don't really want to know. I'm just kidding. I'm teasing you. Well, listen. I hope everyone is having a great morning. I am so grateful uh, to be here. God is good, and. Um, uh, I, I wanted, I'll start off, sometimes I'll, I'll start off and I'll ask this question, and it throws people off, but it shouldn't be an off-putting question. Um, what has God done good in your life this week? I want to start right there. Okay, what, what's God, what is, what's... Uh-huh. Found the music stand. See, some people think God don't care about stuff like that. He cares about every little detail, doesn't he? Very good. Thank you for sharing that. Is that it right there? Good. Anybody else? Something good that God has done for you this week. David. A lot of people have been praying for my health, and I want to let you know it's, my health is improving. Uh, I feel your prayers. Thank you so much. He looks good, too, doesn't he? Looks fresh. My spirit. Amen. He reminded me how beautiful his creation is. Yes. I spent all yesterday afternoon out in our backyard working. And even though 
Absolutely. One of the things that I love is how, how Jesus will sometimes show up through the love and the words of other people. And um, uh, the uh, Boyd family uh, invited us over last night to their home, and we had dinner with them, and uh, they're good people. Boys are good folks. So thank you for... No, he's, no. The ones that are shaking their head, the ones that are shaking their head will have an invitation a little later. Uh, for you, <laughs> teasing you. Um, what do we need to pray for? And, and if I if I may, I'm going to throw a, a name in there. Um, I don't normally like to pray for myself, but I I've had some um, since the day before the walk. I started having headaches, and and during the walk they got really really bad, and then they got to a point of having like migraines. I guess when I got home, and I've had a headache now for 13 days straight. And I don't understand that. Doc seems to think it could be allergy-related coming from Tennessee to here and having a big change and stuff like that. But um, it hurts a lot. So uh, anyway, if y'all would just pray that that would resolve itself, that would be fantastic. What else do we need to pray for? Rain. They're saying we might get a little tonight. We'll be praying for that. My kids are freaking out. They hate rain. I said, Lord, we need it. But see, we're from Tennessee, so whenever they say thunderstorms, we think tornadoes. And we've been in several. There have been several tornadoes where, we, where we're from. So they, they get real edgy, nervous around it. So. And include New Mexico for the, the rain. Fires, right. Just Friday. How's your daughter? Is she in the same place, or have they had to leave? They are at our place. They had evacuated and taken most of their stuff into Las Vegas where their law office is. But now, cinders are, well, not burning, just the stuff from the fire. So far, last I heard, no hot burning live ones are falling all over Las Vegas. Goodness. Okay. All right, so we need to remember that in prayer. Anything else? Feels like you need to get up and run around and move and, yeah. It was so wonderful to see you when you were doing the flags up here for our Easter service. And my heart was so, so touched by that. I really appreciate that. Yep. Yes, ma'am. June Holcomb. Any updates?
Anyone else? I sat down and uh, I saw a face over here I didn't know before, and I, this young fellow back here, and I said, how you doing, and what's your name? He said, my name's Tim. I said, no, it's not. My name's Tim. <laughs> so, anyway, I'm 2 Timothy. He's 3 Timothy. So, that's right, 3 Timothy. All right, well, if that's it, any, uh, any burning, burning requests for prayer? We'll go ahead and go to the Father, and then we'll get into what we have for this morning. Let's go ahead and uh, go before the throne of our, of our Father. Our Lord, our Savior, our Father, thank you so much for the blessing of life for the blessing of friendships, and for the blessing of the freedom that we have in our nation to be able to have this opportunity just to come here and to to open your word. And Lord, we sit here in a long line of saints before us who have done this very thing and sometimes under the threat of death. And so, Father, I pray that every single one of us, regardless of whatever we came from at home or what we have in our hearts from last week or next week, that we take this opportunity and not take it for granted to know that your word is powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and that as we go into your word this morning, Lord, we surrender and give your Holy Spirit the full rights to be able to work inside of us and to show us the mirror of truth so that we might be transformed to become more like your son. So, Father, we pray. And, God, there's a a few prayer requests that the the saints have uh, brought before you. We want to pray for Sister Cortez for the leg restlessness that she's feeling right now, Father. In the name of Jesus, we just pray that it stops and that you would give her relief from that. I pray for June Holcomb, and even though she's having improvement in her health, the doctors are saying that it's going to take months. And so, Lord, I just pray that that you would just escalate that, Lord, and prove them wrong and give her swift healing and fast healing in the name of your son. I pray for Casey Doyle. And uh, for the, the, the great difficulties that he's going through. And I pray for healing uh, for him as well, Lord. Lord, we, we know that when we come before you and we offer these prayers, they don't fall uh, empty. They don't bounce off the walls. They don't just go to the ceiling and come back down, Lord. We know that, that you dwell inside of us and we dwell inside of you. And that we are fearfully and wonderfully made in your image and that you are the great physician. So that when we bring a name before you like Casey Doyle, even though the world may say it doesn't look good, we know that that does not mean anything when it comes to you, Lord. So we humbly ask for his healing. And Lord, when it comes to the things that are going on around us, the fires and the need for rain, God, you're the rain maker. You're the one that... That, that can cause the storms and you command the seas. And so, Father, we pray that, that you would just bring a watering, a great watering to this land and to the land of New Mexico. And, and Father, we pray that you would put out the fires. And Lord, I ask one more prayer, um, if you would. I pray for relief for the headache, Lord. It, it gets in the way of my teaching. It gets in the way of the preaching and um, gets in the way of life. And I just pray that you would give me relief from that as well. That's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 27. Ma'am?
<clears throat> prayer for her son um, dealing with addiction and struggles. Yeah. We will, we will be in prayer for him. And David, that's Bo. Is that Bo? What, which name? What's his name? Jesse. Jesse. Okay. Um, saints, if you would, can we go back to the Father just for a moment? It's, we're going to pray for her son. Her son. That's okay, yeah. So, Father, we want to pray for Jesse, Lord, too. Um, same, same prayer that we prayed a moment ago, Father. You are the one who made us. And, God, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we know that you know how to meet us in a way that we cannot miss. And it sounds like, Lord, that he needs an intervention in some way, shape, or form. And I pray that you would give him a holy intervention from your spirit, that you would bring conviction and healing in his life. And thank you for the faith of his mother who holds him up in prayer and intercedes for him, Father. And we join her in that prayer and pray for him. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Matthew 27. Matthew 27. Let me get over there just for a moment. So we have a, a new study that we're going to start next week. And uh, uh, in the meantime, I, I had a little excursion that I wanted to take with, with a, just one verse that, that really impacted me a long time ago and, and helped me to, to see a text in a way that I had never seen it before. And, and I realized that, that it may have been new for me and it may not be new for you. It may be standard teaching here. I don't know, <laughs> you know, here in West Texas, but, but I want to get into something. The, the setting, I want to set this up for you really quick. Um, it's something that Jesus says while he's on the cross. And so we're going to pick up at uh, Matthew chapter 27, and I'm going to see if anybody would like to volunteer. Anybody want to read for me this morning? We're going to read Matthew 27, uh, verses 27 through 54. Matthew 27, 27 through 54. Does anybody have a burning desire? Thank you. Go ahead. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus from into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted a crown of thorns together and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him, and they took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put, on, put his clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right, one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the 
elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him, for he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's good. You can stop right there. Okay. Yeah. Thank you very much. David, your Aramaic is amazing. (laughs) Truly. I hear people stumble through that, and you just, it's like you were speaking in tongues, brother. That was really good. Thank you. So the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, there is no event in human history that demands more respect and more awe, I think, than this moment that we're reading about right here. And, and that phrase, uh, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, or tanai, as, as he said, is an Aramaic phrase, and it's one of the first things, the very first thing Jesus says when he's on the cross. And when you translate the words, if you can imagine in your mind's eye, Christ has already gone through the beating, the flogging, and um, his body is just torn to pieces. And he's hanging there, and, and you can hear the insults. I mean, that's one of the aspects of the crucifixion that just gets me every time is not only is he enduring the pain, but he's also enduring the shame and the insults as they're saying such horrible things at him. But he says this curious phrase, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why does Jesus say that? Isaiah tells us In Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 through 5, he says, He bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions. He bruised for our iniquities, that the chastisement of our peace was upon him, that by his stripes we are healed. Paul, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, says, He redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made, listen to this, being made a curse for us. Do you see the exchange that's happening here? We were the ones who were cursed, right, in the Garden of Eden a long time ago. We were brought under that curse, the curse of sin, the the curse of the fall of man. But the Bible says that he took that. Isaiah says he bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. He was wounded because of the things that we did. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21, Paul also says, He made him who knew no sin, listen to the language, not to carry sin, it says he made him who knew no sin to become sin. How does that work? I don't honestly know. I don't know how that works. But he says he becomes sin, on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So here's a question. And this is a question that I've heard many, many times over the years. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why do you think he says that on the cross? Why do you think he says that? Your, your wheels are turning. I can see the wheels just are turning. He is sin at that moment, so God cannot accept it. Okay. Okay. He's, he's, he's bearing the weight of sin, 
And, and God cannot accept him at that time. Okay? Anyone else want to add to that or say something different? Yeah, um, when Jesus is in stress, he's, he is clearly focused on scriptures that he has learned. When he was in the desert, he was drawn from Deuteronomy. And here on the cross, this is Psalm 22. It starts with verse 1. And so when it's agony, he's drawing up things he has learned that match his situation. And this is exactly what he's going through. He, he is being forsaken by God because he has become sin. Yeah. So he pulls from somebody else who wrote those exact words, David, and says, okay, this is what I'm feeling. That That's so cool how anybody can do that. We can draw from the Psalms and say, this is exactly what I'm going through. Mm-hmm. See, I want to build upon this because this is exactly where we're going, is what David just said. So I had been raised my entire life and, and heard exactly that. And I, and I don't think it's wrong. It's exactly right. I mean, he's, he's, think about what he's doing, guys. He's dying for your sins. Like, How many of your sins were still yet future when he died on the cross? All of them. So he's bearing the weight of every sin since Adam and every sin to the last human being at one moment. Can you fathom that? I can't fathom that, okay? But having said that, I remember one time I was um, reading through the Psalms, as David was talking about, and I came to Psalm 22, verse 1. And if you want, just go ahead and flip over there. Keep your finger. Actually, you don't need to keep your finger here. We're just going to be spending some time in Psalm 22. But go back to Psalm chapter 22. And as I was reading the Psalms one day, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. The opening verse of Psalm 22, verse 1 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it hit me. It wasn't just that Jesus is is feeling God-forsakenness in that moment. It's not just that he's feeling God-forsakenness. It's not just that he's feeling the weight of sin in that moment. He's quoting a scripture. And it wasn't until a little bit later on that I realized after doing some study, exactly, David, what you said, that, that in the Old Testament, the rabbis and, and, and people in, in general, and, and if you think about it, we do the same thing, right? Um, there are times when I'll be counseling someone and they'll be dealing with a very difficult circumstance or situation. And I'll say, man, you're really walking through that valley of the shadow, aren't you? Right? Now, you know what I mean by that, don't you? Because when I say that phrase, you're walking through the valley of the shadow, that calls to memory that whole psalm, doesn't it? It calls to memory the struggles of that psalm. It calls to memory his, his um, holding on to the promises of God in that psalm. So in other words, when you draw from that psalm or that scripture, you're drawing from the flavor of the whole thing, right? So I, I got to wondering... Psalm 22, verse 1, David says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I found out later on, what I realized was, is that when Jesus is hanging on the cross, he's thinking about Psalm 22. And when when you realize that, you're like, okay, wait a minute, I want to know what was on my Savior's heart. I want to know what was on his mind when he's hanging on that cross. Because you think about it, where did Jesus draw his strength from? 
Yes, God, that's the easy answer. But where did Jesus draw his strength from all throughout his ministry? When he was being tempted by, this, by Satan in the wilderness, when Satan came to him and says, listen, I know you've been fasting for 40 days, but man, you've got power. You've got, you've got power that you know, people in this world would love to have, and all you've got to do is look at those stones over there, and like that, they'll become bread. And what does Jesus do? He quotes Scripture. Quote Scripture. but by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. And then he tempts him again. Tempts him again. Takes him up to the pinnacle of the temple. He says, listen, the Scripture says, you want to quote Scripture, Jesus? I can quote Scripture too, man. Look, it says in the Bible that if you throw yourself down, the angels will not let you fall. And what does Jesus say? Basically, he says you're misquoting Scripture because the Scripture also says, don't tempt the Lord your God. And then he goes for bank takes him up to another hill, shows him all the kingdoms of the earth. And, and sometimes I wonder if he literally showed him all of them, not just the Roman one. I'm wondering if he showed them the Roman one and the Byzantine one and the American one and the European one and who knows whatever one comes later on and says, I'll give every single one of these to you. All you got to do is bow down and worship me. And what does Jesus do? Quote scripture, right? He quotes scripture. So each time he draws his strength from Scripture. So here he is on the cross drawing his strength from Psalm chapter 22, verse 1. So what I want us to do this morning is I want us to just read the psalm together. And I want us to hear what Jesus was thinking about while he was on the cross. And we're going to ask the question, did God leave him? Or is there more that meets the eye when he says what he says? So let's go ahead and get into it. Psalm 22 Verse 1. Now, one thing I want to note about this psalm is that it does not relate to anything identifiable in David's life, does it? David, David is named after David, namesake. Uh, David has recently been doing a big study of the psalms. And uh, you made a comment to me, and I didn't say this to you because I didn't want you to think I was stealing it from you. But, um, but very good point is that you know, a lot of times David will say things that, has, that doesn't really seem to have anything to do with him. And, and the reason why I think that is is because the book of Acts chapter 2 verse 30 says that not only was he the king of Israel, but David was also a prophet. That's why when you read the Psalms, sometimes he will move into prophecy. He will start speaking prophetically about things in the future. And I think you're going to find some very interesting things here in Psalm 22. So let's go ahead and read it together. Verse 1, my God, my God. <clears throat> Why have you forsaken me? Now, these are the very words that appear both in Matthew and Mark uh, at the crucifixion. In all the Gospels, Jesus always calls God the Father. Um, but if you notice here, he doesn't. Now, I'm not going to make too much of this, but, um, but he's, he's in our shoes at this moment. He's, he's a sinner. He's become sin. And, and I don't know. I don't know that he can call God Father at this moment. You know, and, and maybe from a scriptural standpoint, he can. I'm not trying to make too much theologically here, but, but I just think it's interesting that he calls God Father through the Gospels. But here, he calls him my God. Is that important? I don't know. But I'm reminded of this in Romans chapter 8, verse 5. The spirit you received, I'm talking to you, okay? The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit that you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The reason why you have the ability to call him your father this morning is because of what he did for you right here. 
So isn't that amazing? Yes, sir, Tim. I like being able to say that, Tim. How you doing, Tim? Okay, so what that was over in Romans chapter eight, verse five. Romans eight five. Did I quote it wrong? What about the part where it says this, the Spirit has not made you slaves, but has uh, brought about adoption of sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father? Did I did I write that down wrong? Huh? Verse eight fifteen. Oh, I missed the one when I jotted it down. I'm sorry. I forgot to carry the one. That's right. That's right. So why are you so why why are you so far from saving me? This is the psalmist. Why are you so far from saving me from from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you don't answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Full stop. Have you ever felt that way? Hey God, where are you? I'm going through this divorce and I'm, I'm seeking you with my whole heart. I don't know what to do. Where are you? I'm struggling with this addiction. And every time I show up in CR and I can't put together two weeks of sobriety without falling off the wagon again. God, where are you? I'm stepping up. I'm trying to be the man that I need to be. And I'm, I'm, I'm coming home. I'm praying with my kids, but my kids are just unruly and they won't listen. Man, God, where are you? You ever felt that? Keep reading. Yet, you were Holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But man, I'm a worm. I'm not a man scorned by mankind and despised by the people. I meant to stop at verse 5 for a moment, but, but go up to verses 3 through 5. When he's thinking about, God, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? What does he start to do? What is the first thing he starts to do in, ver- in those verses? Go ahead, David. Praise. Oh, you're praising. Okay. It's like hand up. What does he do there? He's talking about God inhabiting the praise of men. Yes, yes. And, and what about verses 4 and 5? In this time of agony, in this time of despair, where does his mind go? It's a good place to take your mind in these times. Yes. You know, God, I don't know where you are. I don't know where you are. I don't know what's going on. I can't understand the circumstance. I've been praying for weeks and weeks and weeks. I've got nothing. But I know you're there. Because all i got to do is look back. I can see clearly. And he's saying here, I can see clearly. Like, I know you're not, it's not just me. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted. And you delivered them. And he's probably thinking about like the parting of the Red Sea. Like there's things that we can look at in our past where we know that God is there. He is real, right? I can tell you something. When you go through those deep, dark times, I didn't mean to preach, but I'm a preacher, so I'm sorry. But when you, I'm sorry, it's just just part of nature. But, But you know what I'm saying though? Like when you're in those times when you feel like God is not there, this is why I tell people to keep a prayer journal and write down the fingerprints of your life, the fingerprints of God in your life. Because when I go through those times where I feel like God's not there, I go back and I read my fingerprint journal and I read all the proof that he's left me in the past of him being there. 
Sometimes we need to be reminded of that because I think every one of us as human beings have a forgetting disease, <laughs> right? We forget God's goodness. We forget the praise. And then look how it transitions in verse 6. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. When it says he's a worm, it means he's, he's being treated less than a man. He's being treated like a creature on the ground. What is a worm? It's, somebody, it's something you'd step on, right? It's, it's, it's lowest of the low, right? It, we would say, um, you know, don't let anybody walk all over you like a, like a rug or something like that. It's the same kind of idea. I'm a worm of a man. I'm being stepped on. I'm being scorned by mankind. It, you know, this reminds me of Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6, which, by the way, is a prophecy written about Jesus 600 years before he was even born. You know, people say there's no proof that the Bible is inspired. I beg to differ. There's over 600, or excuse me, 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that point to every aspect of his life, uh, his life, his ministry, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his sentence and his glory. And every single one of those things have been or will be fulfilled. You can't tell me the Bible's not true. Yes, ma'am. Okay, that was Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6, if I carried the one correctly. Hopefully. Yeah, let's go ahead. I gave my back to those who strike me and my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. Yeah, see the prophets of the Old Testament are looking ahead and they see it. They see glimpses of what happens with the Messiah. And, and part of what happens with him is his, he's offered my back to those who beat me. Remember when Jesus was flogged? Remember that? And then a little detail that a lot of people don't know is that they plucked out his beard. Man, I never knew how much that would hurt until I had one. That, that, no, that, that's horrible. It's horrible. Uh, other passages that describe this time, Isaiah fifty-two fourteen also describes the crucifixion. As many as were astonished at you, his appearance, listen to this, his appearance was so marred Beyond human resemblance. And his form was so marred beyond that of the children of mankind. In other words, they beat him so much that when you looked at him, you could not recognize him as Jesus anymore. And I'll see me, mommy. What's that? Or even as human. Yeah, he was less than human at that point. Look at verse 7. Somebody read... Um, Let's see, where's the... Somebody can help me read Psalm 22. Psalm 22, verses 7 and 8. Do I have a volunteer? Yes, ma'am. Help me get my steps in today. Thank you. All right. Everyone who sees me, mocks me, they snare and shake their heads, saying, Is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. Now, do you hear that? We just read that a moment ago in the text of Matthew, the mocking. And, and, and it's, a, it's a direct quote from the mouths of the Pharisees that were there mocking Jesus. I want to read it to you one more time. Matthew 27, 38 through 43. Then the two robbers that were crucified with him, one on the right, one on the left, and those who passed by derided him. Listen to this. Wagging their heads. When did uh, David write Psalm 22? Does anybody know? How long before Jesus did David write Psalm 22? Does anyone know? 
1,000 years before Jesus Christ. A thousand years before Jesus, David, because of the Holy Spirit, by prophecy, looked ahead and he could see this person in agony and the people wagging their heads and mocking him. And here in the book of Matthew, it says they were wagging their heads. Verse 39, verse 40, and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. And so also the chief priests and the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and then we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. Can't you hear the mocking? It's horrible. All right, go back to Psalm 22. Psalm 22, verse 9. Um, Can I get another reader? Psalm 22. Somebody read 9 through 13. 9 through 13. Thank you, Max Ann. Good morning. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me. Strong bulls of Bashan have beset me around. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. Okay, thank you very much. Um, so I want to make a quick comment about this, something that's very interesting. When he says, many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan uh, surround me. Bashan was, Bashan, if you, if you go back and look on the map of where that is, Bashan was up in the land of the Rephaim, the Rephaim. The Rephaim, if you remember, um, do you remember in the Old Testament, there were these uh, giants called the Nephilim. And when the, the people of Israel, when they sent in the 12 spies, they said, we're like grasshoppers in their eyes, man. And later on, another text, they talk about the Rephaim, which Rephaim means the shades or the shady ones or the, the, the spirits. In other words, what, what a lot of people believe that this is talking about is that not only is this looking at the people that are mocking and spitting and deriding him as he's on the cross, it's also making a reference to the demonic entities that are surrounding Jesus at this moment. Anybody ever see The Passion of the Christ? That's a very powerful movie. And there's this one scene at the very end where the person that plays Satan shows up at the cross. And as you see Jesus literally in agony on the cross, Satan walks through the crowd and is just basically staring. And, and of course, from Satan's perspective, he thinks, man, I've won. I have won. I gave him an out. He didn't take it. And look, now he's dead. He's no king. And, and of course, you know how the, the, the story ends. It kind of backfires on him a little bit here. But that's, that's kind of this idea, the, the bulls of Bashan. A lot of people think it's an, an allusion to demonic activity that was going on at the crucifixion. Okay, let's um, get into verse, man, I think we're going to run short on time, aren't we? Uh, verse 14 and 15, somebody read that. My life is poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have laid in me the dust and left me for dead. 
And by the way, um, that's a perfect description of crucifixion. I, I mean, I'm no expert, but I've, I have studied experts uh, in the past, and they will tell you that um, you're, when you're up on that cross, uh, because of the way that they, they put your body, your bones come out of joint. Um, your, your heart melts within you like wax. What is that a, refer, a reference to? Feeling hopeless, okay? Um, not long later, there's a, pier, a, a, a piercing that's going to happen in his side, okay? Blood and water is going to come forth. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to my jaws. Remember that moment when Jesus was thirsty on the cross? I thirst. Please give me drink. And what did they give him? Vinegar. Nothing good, right? And you lay me in the dust of death. Perfect description of a crucifixion. And I'm going to read this last part, and what we'll do is we'll stop here, and we will come back, and we will finish Psalm 22. I hate to end on this note. When I studied this, I studied it so it would be perfectly 45 minutes. That was wrong, wasn't it? It did not happen. I don't know what happened. Look at this, verse 16. For dogs encompass me. Dogs encompass me. What did Jews call Gentiles in the first century? Dogs. This is a thousand years before that. I think this might be a reference to the people that are crucifying him. Romans. Really? Wow. That makes sense. Yeah. So for dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircle me. Look at this, guys. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Does anybody know when crucifixion was invented? Because I can tell you right now, it was not invented in 1,000 years before Jesus. What? Yeah, years, years later, many, many years, hundreds of years later. It was invented, I think, by the Persians, and it was perfected by the Romans. But this is talking about a form of, of execution where his hands and feet are pierced. Guys, this is direct prophetic proof of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. A thousand years before it occurred. He says, I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and my clothing they cast lots. Does that ring a bell? You know, as your, as your bones separate from one another, you can probably feel each bone. That's right. And you know, you feel it. I'm going to stop here. John 19, verses 23 through 24. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each other, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. And so they said to one another, let's not tear it, but let's cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. And this was, and they said, to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. John says, look, this is scripture being fulfilled because on synagogue every Sunday we heard David, we heard the Psalms, we remember when God said that this would happen, and now you see it being fulfilled literally in front of your eyes. We're going to stop there this morning because of the bell, that blasted bell. That melodious bell, for those of you who know what I'm talking about, right? That melodious bell. Um, listen, if you want, spend your 95.5 time this week in Psalm 22. And what we're going to do is we're going to come back next week. And, and maybe some of you have never even realized that Jesus had this in his heart. He was thinking of the scripture, this entire scripture while he was on the cross, knowing that he was fulfilling the scripture, knowing that his disciples would see the fulfillment of the scripture. 
Let this be a passage that blesses you this week. And next week we'll wrap it up and then we will start a new study. Okay? God bless you. Thank you.